Hear the good news from the Gospel according to Matthew. The next day, the, the one after Preparation Day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook. Literally, they quaked and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. During the French Revolution, three men were scheduled to die by means of the guillotine on the same day, a doctor, a pastor, and an engineer. When the time for execution arrived, the doctor was led up to the guillotine, and as he was up, about to be strapped down, the executioner asked him, head facing up or down? Head up, said the doctor. Blindfold or no blindfold? 
no blindfold. Moments later, the executioner untied the rope that held the blade, and down came the blade, zing! But it stopped an inch above the doctor's neck. Well, the law said that if an execution did not succeed the first time, the prisoner had to be released, so the doctor was set free. The pastor was let up next, head facing up or down, up. Blindfold or no blindfold? No blindfold. The executioner untied the rope that held up the blade, and down it came, zing! And again, it stopped an inch above the pastor's neck. The law was the law, so the pastor was set free. Next came the engineer. Head facing up or down, said the executioner. Head up. Blindfold or no blindfold? No blindfold. The executioner began untying the rope that held up the blade, and as he did, the engineer yelled out, Wait! I see what the problem is! <laughs> I tell you that, in one of my favorite traditions, the tradition of pastors in the Eastern Orthodox Christian churches who spend Easter Sunday and Monday after the services are done exchanging jokes with each other in honor of Easter, especially jokes relating to death. Not because death is funny, no, but because the heart of Easter is while death is still an enemy in Christ, death is a defeated enemy. Not that the religious leaders who had demanded Jesus' death believed that, but as Matthew reports, they did remember that he, in their words, that deceiver, had once told his disciples that he would rise from the dead after three days. But Jesus really was dead, wasn't he? The public execution of Jesus had taken place the day before. Roman soldiers had made sure that he was dead by sticking that spear into his body. And still these religious officials worry. And what they worry is that in desperation to prove that the deceiver was the Messiah, after all, those disciples might just steal his body and then spread the fake news that he did rise from the dead just as he said. And so on that Saturday morning after Good Friday and before Resurrection Sunday, they decide to worry Pilate. They ask him to give the order for the tomb to be made secure, which is surely a very odd request, tombs being what they are and death being what it is. Make it more final, more finished, more secure than even a tomb? How do you do that? Well, by now, as you can imagine, Pilate has had his fill of these people. On Friday, he had washed his hands of the whole affair, or thought he had. And now the chief priests and Pharisees are back once more. What little we know of Pilate, what little we know suggests he was not fond of the Jews. He hated his job. He didn't understand their culture, didn't get their religion. And he couldn't stand the scheming, sophisticated Jerusalem elite. These officials gathered in front of him this Saturday morning once more. Pontius Pilate, procurator of the emperor in Roman Judea, has had enough. 
And I imagine him saying politely, but with the muscles of his jaw tense with anger and the need to maintain self-control, take a guard, go, get out of here, make it as secure as you know how. Good luck with that. That is, make it as secure as you are capable of making it secure, which begins to set you thinking. And maybe if you didn't know better or you were a fan of Stephen King novels, the hair on your neck begins to stand up and you begin to squirm a bit. We are big on security these days, aren't we? Some of us have security systems in our homes. Others live in gated communities. When I visit people in the hospital now, outside of visiting hours, when I go to the bank, even when I go to the library, there's often a, safety, a security guard giving everybody a second look. Apart from all the new restrictions that came with COVID-19, ever since 9-11 we live with heightened security, especially if you travel by air. We've become used to having to arrive early and being prepared for who knows what. At the very least, removing your belt and your shoes, at worst a full body scan, leading one late night talk show host to advise travelers to leave the following at home before you head out to the airport, namely your food, your sharp tools, and any shred of dignity you possess. We try to make things as secure as we know how. We want to protect what we have, what we are. We want to protect our plans for the future. We just want to be safe and settled. But that is not what you get when you come to church on Easter Sunday. Especially not in Matthew's telling of that morning. Who does not locate Jesus' tomb in a garden full of white lilies and hopping bunnies and colorful hidden eggs, but on a fault line where an earthquake cracks open old layers of rock and an angel lands like lightning to shock us awake and to set us trembling. Listen again. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back that stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The angel rolls back the stone that seals the tomb with all the security that Pilate and the Jewish leaders could possibly come up with. And as he does, the truth of the resurrection breaks into the world, shattering rock, causing the earth to quake. And as for Pilate's security system, Matthew tells us, the guards were so afraid of the angel that they quaked and became like dead men. And then the angel showed the women who came to the tomb nothing. And he tells them, I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Well, when news of all this gets back to the chief priests and Pharisees, they begin to plot and scheme once more. We're going to put everything back the way it was, fellas, okay? Nothing happened, nothing, and nothing has changed. They tell the guards what to say. His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. And to ensure 
that the guards followed the plan to the letter, they slipped them what Matthew calls a large sum of money. Because large sums of money can make troubling news disappear very quickly, can it? Large sums of money can work magic, can alter reality, or at least our perception of reality, which is the same thing. Too many digits to the left of the decimal point leads to all kinds of visual and mental impairments. And as you probably know, the reaction of the chief priests is one way that many people do come to terms with the story of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It is one way so many people still today receive the message of the angels. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said, with denial. It has been that way ever since that first Easter. The witness of the gospel, the witness of the women, the disciples, is that Jesus Christ is risen, but you go ahead and you take that into that witness into our world still today, you take that witness into Willowbrook Mall or Walmart or Tim Hortons and you say, Jesus Christ is risen! And you see what happens. Did you hear what the church says? They say he's risen. Come on. There are all kinds of explanations, you know. It was early in the morning. It was dark. They were distraught. Those women just got confused. You know how women can be. And they went to the wrong tomb. One still awaiting a burial. How do you explain it? Oh, they stole the body. That's what those guards said. They were right there. His followers stole his body and then started spreading the story about his race from the dead. It is the oldest trick in the world. Now you see it, now you don't. How do you explain it? Well, they moved the body. They didn't have time on Good Friday to put him in his permanent place. It was nearly sundown by the time they took him off the cross. So they buried him temporarily nearby in somebody else's tomb, some guy named Joseph. They just buried him nearby. They were going to move him later to this permanent place. That was the plan all along, I'm sure. How do you explain that? You know, I never believed he was dead in the first place. Think about it. He was on the cross from, what, 9 in the morning to a little after 3 in the afternoon? Listen, I've heard about crucifixions, about people hanging up there and in there for three or four days. So think about it. They take him down from there around 3, and it hasn't even been half a day. I'd call that premature burial. He must have come around. They put him in the tomb. The cool air revived him. That's the way I look at it. Denial, however, is not the only way to receive the angel's message and go back to the way things were. Fear is another way to suppress the message. The angels tell the women, go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And the women, writes Matthew, leave the angel and the tomb afraid, afraid, yet filled with joy. Afraid, no less than the guards, but in a different way, afraid. The Gospel of Mark, as a matter of fact, ends his Gospel with that simple observation. These three words, what an end to a Gospel. They were afraid. It doesn't say of whom. Most likely the same authorities who had made the tomb as secure as they knew how, who, in order to keep law and order, had killed Jesus 
He's a rabble-riser, you know. He's got a lot of people stirred up. Our way of religion is at stake here. Let's get rid of him. In the name of law and order, of course. So they did. Now suppose those women go out and say that Jesus is alive again. You know what they're going to do? Starting with us, they're going to squash us like bugs. Because how many do we have? Luke says in Acts 1 verse 15 that after all of Jesus' ministry on earth was said and done, the number of believers totaled about 120. If the first century Jewish historian Josephus was correct, and there were more than 2 million pilgrims in Jerusalem for the Passover, what would these two women, Mark says there were three, two or three, but what could a little group of even three women do in that kind of a crowd? They'd be run over. What are you going to do? Roman historians say that at the end of the first century, the empire had a population of about 70 million people. They estimate there were maybe as many as 40,000 Christians tops. Think of it. This means that in Langley Township, comparatively speaking now, percentage-wise, that in Langley Township, with its current population of roughly 144,000, not sure if that's symbolic, there would be 328 Christians. 328, all of Langley Township. Most of us don't know what being a minority is. Are they now going to get out the word that this Jesus you killed is alive again? What happened to Jesus could happen to them. Maybe that's what it is when they says that they were afraid. Or it could have been that they were simply unable to talk. Fear can do that to you, right? They say that most people fear public speaking more than they fear death. And I suspect some of you can relate. Fear of mispronouncing, choking up, fear of losing your voice, fear of falling down, fear of everything. It's especially hard to talk when you are deeply affected. We can chat about the weather and everything under the sun, you know, but let somebody bring up a sacred subject and some of us get awfully quiet. How often don't you hear in the church, hey, you can ask me anything, just don't ask me to say anything. I'll do anything, and where would we be without doers? But don't ask me to say anything. We can chatter like magpies when it comes to the chances of the Canucks in the playoffs. Zero to none now, by the way. Or the latest tweets from one celebrity or another. But mention Jesus Christ and it's, uh, just don't ask me to say anything, okay? We often say it is not enough to talk the talk. You've got to walk the walk. The trouble with that expression is it's backwards. It is not enough to walk the walk. You've got to talk the talk. Because the most difficult and fearful, I know, but also the most profound thing you will ever do for Jesus Christ in your life is to say something. That's why these days most of our churches get us to practice it when we publicly profess our faith these days. It isn't anymore simply... I do. No, we're asking for your testimony. Understand, this is no criticism of anyone. 
but an honest recognition that it is hard to say something important about Jesus, as important as that is, and it hasn't got any easier in our culture, has it? As Matthew tells the story, however, while the chief priests and Pharisees try and move backward by denying the truth, the women do move forward. They may be afraid, but in spite of their fear, in the very midst of their fear, they trust the angel's message and promise. And that is enough to send them on their way, filled not only with fear, but with joy. And as they are going on their way, writes Matthew, suddenly Jesus met them. <laughs> That's it. I mean, what goes through your mind when you think about how they must have felt? Suddenly Jesus met them. And they met Jesus. And that's when Matthew describes the only response which makes any sense in light of the earth-shaking truth of this day. The women came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. It seems so commonplace you almost miss it. They worshipped him. It seems so ordinary on this Easter Sunday morning filled with extraordinary happenings like earthquakes and angels. They worship him. It seems so straightforward compared to the subtle maneuverings of the chief priests and the Pharisees. They worship him. Beyond fear, and even as the world still denies him, the only way to receive the angel's message is with worship, which is the giving of oneself wholeheartedly to God. Worship is surrender, submission, self-giving, selfless emotion, the only remedy for self-centeredness. Worship understands that man-made security is, in the end, no security at all. That real security is not something we fashion for ourselves, but is a gift of God. Not something we achieve, but something we receive. And we are given it in Christ Jesus, who died and who was buried, but who is risen from the dead. Little did Mary Magdalene and the other Mary know as they made their way that early morning, or through the early morning dew and the mist, that first Easter morning, that they were crossing over from where they were to a whole new world of God's making. I love the way Professor Tom Long put it in his commentary on Matthew's Gospel, and I quote, What the women expected to see was Jesus' grave, a monument to the sadness they felt in the soul a confirmation of the cruel truth that the world finally beats mercy and righteousness to death. Somewhere along the path to the cemetery, however, they left one world and unknowingly entered another. Without even knowing that they crossed over the border, they left the old world where hope is in constant danger where might makes right, 
where peace has little chance, where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, and the weak all eventually suffer under some Pontius Pilate or another, and people hatch murderous plots, and dead people stay dead, and they enter instead the startling, breathtaking world of resurrection and life. Jesus of Nazareth, who had been as dead as a doornail on Friday afternoon, was not in his tomb that morning, and the world, theirs and ours, has been turned upside down ever since. And so once more this Easter morning, the angel gives us a message to share with each other and others. He has risen from the dead, and it's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. With Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, we too, all who believe, have crossed the border into a new day of hope and resurrection. It is Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.